Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com. Hello and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name is Steve Barrett. I'm the Editorial Director of PR Week. Going to guide you gently through another show, another busy week at PR Week Towers. And uh, delighted to have Elizabeth McNichols with us, CEO of Outcast, um, based out on the West Coast. How are you doing, Elizabeth? Excellent. How are you? Yeah, we're surviving these <laughs> weeks. Um, still sort of basking in the PR Week Awards last week, where we yeah. got everyone back together for the first time, 700 people. So that was exciting. Incredible. Yeah, and we rang the closing bell at the NASDAQ. So, uh, but then, uh, as Frank Washcott will testify, our executive editor is also with us. The events and the, the stuff keeps coming, doesn't it, Frank? Another busy it week. sure does. Another one next week. Yeah, for sure. And we have uh, some updates on that coming later on in the podcast. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So uh, Frank will chat through some of the big stories of the week. Um, and those include Zeno winning a nice Kraft Heinz assignment, obviously ongoing coverage of the war in Ukraine and the impacts for businesses of that um, terrible situation still carrying on there. Real Chemistry has unveiled their uh, revenues for 2021. Really really grown a lot in the last two or three years so they're up to 439 million which is incredible um weber has elevated pam jenkins into a new role um, and like frank says we'll update you on our various uh healthcare and pharma shortlist our 40 under 40 launch and our global awards shortlist as well as well as the agency business report and then just looking forward to pr decoded in october but elizabeth um let's start with you you took over as ceo at outcast last April, which must have been an interesting uh, challenge, given that I guess you were still locked down there. But you've been at Outcast for 10 years. So yes. first of all, tell us a bit about taking over during during COVID and, and, and how, how, how that was. Well, it's funny. I had a conversation with someone recently who asked me a very similar question. And I thought, well, until maybe the last month or so, that was the only experience I had had as CEO. So I didn't know any differently. Um, you know, it was... Um, I think obviously all of our teams had been through a lot over 2020 and, you know, continuing on into 2021. So there was a heavy attention on our people and, you know, kind of staying true to what they needed, um, which I think, you know, is sort of my general uh, nature anyway. Um, but, you know, certainly there were the, the, the business challenges, which were, fairly unprecedented in the sense that, you know, 2020 had been this very uh, fraught year and very, uh, you know, we had about five months where it was very unclear what was going to happen. We, you know, as everybody, we saw things shift and shrink. And then all of a sudden, you know, I would say in September of 2020, things kind of suddenly turned around and 2021 was a continuation of that, you know, we were going through tremendous changes in the organization just because of the leadership change. Although I had been at the company for a long time, um, you know, that does that, you know, introduces a certain level of disruption. Um, you know, we obviously were not immune to uh, a lot of what everybody has publicized as a great resignation. And so we had a lot of shifting 
of our workforce. At the same time, as we saw, you know, tremendous growth opportunities and a lot of uh, new client demands. And so navigating all of that while we're actually sitting in our houses for the most part um, was really challenging. And I think, you know, we have paid a lot of attention to how we as an agency, uh, you know, build and rebuild connections. Um, I think about 35% of our agency is new within the last couple of years, um, both, you know, because of growth and then the turnover that I mentioned. So, you know, we have a lot of work to do on, you know, knitting together the fabric of the organization and keeping it strong. So Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, we'll get into that a bit and also the sort of coming back to the office part of the equation. Mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. obviously, um, Outcast is very well known, founded in 97 by Margaret Wenmakers and Karen Marooney, very famous mm-hmm. in the sort of tech PR space. And Margaret's now at uh, Andreessen Horowitz and yes. Karen spent uh, a lot of time at Facebook. And you you sort of took over from Alex Constantinople, who I think went to be CMO of Zendex, at Zendesk. But you've, you'd had 15 years on the client side yourself before you joined Outcast. So was that um, – had you sort of used Outcast when you were a client? Was that – or were you just sort of – and what was the sort of drive to go into agency originally? Yeah, I did. I, in fact, that's how I knew of Outcast. I was at Cisco um, running the technology and communications group, uh, communications group, and um, it was they were one of my agencies. I used several agencies, and I had always had a great relationship with them. Um, we, you know, had spent a lot of time together on various projects, and. Um, that's how I knew of Outcast. They, you know, but aside from their reputation, I had very great personal experience with them. And so, um, you know, as I, uh, you know, had been at Cisco about ten years, I was, look, you know, sort of wondering what was next. And uh, it was a really fun opportunity to come in and help grow the company. I think when I joined, we were seventy some people. We're now one hundred and seventy five. So, um, yeah, and it was just an opportunity to to work with entrepreneurs, to work with founders, um, to really think about, you know, some of the skills that I had acquired over, as you mentioned, you know, a lot of time in-house in various roles and bring them into um, both a really different client base and then also um, helping uh, develop and grow employees um, and, you know, really be a teacher and a mentor to them. Yeah, you've got a great perspective on tech PR, I guess, because having that long <laughs> in both client and agency side, how has it changed, you know, from the, the Cisco's and the Suns, you know, of the sort of first generation, if you like, well, one of the first generations of yeah. tech teams, now they're sort of, you know, they're legacy almost, aren't yeah. they? Not legacy, but they're, you know, yeah. there's all these social media companies came along, then we've got crypto and Web3 and all the rest of it. What's, what are the big trends you're seeing in the tech? PR space uh, now? Well, gosh, I mean, it's so different. I mean, Sun Microsystems doesn't even exist anymore. It's part yeah. of Oracle, um, you know, but I, I, that's where I cut my teeth. And obviously working in those very large, big cap tech companies, which are largely, uh, you know, sort of bystanders in the media landscape in some senses right now, because they're not a social media company. You know, they're not dealing with a lot of the sort of hot button issues of the time, although they're fantastic businesses and really, really strong organizations. Um, you know, the the media landscape uh, in tech has changed 
dramatically. I would say there's a lot more scrutiny of these companies and some of the, um, you know, some of the things that are going on in the world and their impact on them. I would say when I was starting out, you know, everything, the impact of a Sun or a Cisco was all positive, right? It was, mm. you know, everybody loved what you were bringing to a conversation or a perspective, you know, whatever perspective you were bringing to a story. Um, and there was a lot of good done. And there's still a lot of good being done, but I think there's also, there are a lot of questions about, you know, how these companies, the, you know, the the reach that they have, the, um, you know, how they influence people, um, how they influence events, you know, there's, it's just, um, it's very different. Also from a pure numbers standpoint, I think, you know, when I was coming up, we had a multitude of publications that were just covering the tech industry. And it was like, you know, all of the really robust trade magazines and such are largely gone. Um, you know, it so feels just, like that, doesn't it? Yeah, it really yeah. Yeah. And so I know some of that shifted because you have a lot of reporters going off and doing sub stacks or mm. um, podcasts or various things and, you know, growing their own brands and maybe that's where it shifted. Um but it is a very different environment. I mean, I remember, I recall times when, you know, I was managing big launches and, you know, we'd literally spend two days pre-briefing people yeah. <laughs> for, for a product launch. And that, I, that just doesn't happen anymore. What are the new media outlets we should be looking out for that are influential? You know, you mentioned some of those sub stackers or the new digital ones. I mean, I don't, is it the information or is it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the information does great work um, and they have a lot of really talented journalists and editors over there. And, you know, a lot of people that I worked with way back in the day um, are now there. Um, and then uh, there's Casey Newton has a Substack. Um, his publication yeah. is called Platformer. It's really a fantastic read. Eric Newcomer does something similar. Um, so there are some really, really talented journalists sort of off on their own doing things. I, you know, I still think the the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times are doing great work and are must reads. So, um, yeah. How influential are the sort of tech crunches and wires of the world? You know, some of the big names yeah. that I kind of remember from covering that space uh, when I was on Revolution, actually, back in the day. Yeah, very, I mean, they're still very influential. And, you know, especially if you're working with um, a startup or the venture community, um, you know, they are must reads and, and, you know, really offer a lot of great perspective and a lot of great news. Um, you know, Wired tends to go a little bit deeper on topics than TechCrunch, um, but it's a, they're both uh, quite important. It feels like there's less transactional day-to-day, -day, like you said, and more in-depth stuff, more yeah. analytical stuff, which is not necessarily yeah. a bad thing. But I suppose if you're, just trying to, if you're just trying to get a story place and a quick hit, it's maybe a little bit harder. It's just a very different environment. I think it's a good thing. I think there's just a lot more um, depth to some of the stories. And I think, you know, you hear from when you're talking to some of the reporters, you hear from them how much more they enjoy that kind of work yeah, um, and, yeah. and what it allows them to do. And I think that's goodness all around, but it is a very different mentality and, you know, kind of shifting the expectations um, of clients over the years to say like, look, you're not going to get, you know, a raft full of stories. You might get one or two really excellent explanations. Mm -hmm.
yeah, yeah. it's a very different uh, conversation yeah for sure now you mentioned sun and i think the uh the sign still exists doesn't it because <laughs> they turned it around and mark Zuckerberg <laughs> was like this is what happens if we don't keep our eye on the ball so obviously yeah. outcast has been you know had facebook as a client for a long time is that still a big chunk of your work and what sort of stuff do you do for them yeah, it is. So Meta uh, is still, it's a um, very important client of ours. We tend to now focus um, on the work that's going on with their AR and VR and gaming uh, technology. So a lot of the stuff around their Metaverse work, right, instead right. of the core platform work, which we did way back in the day. Got it. And tell us a bit about the sort of return to the office uh uh, feelings on the west coast you know um we've seen a lot of the big digital companies saying well we, we may we might not come back till 2023 you know and i don't know if that's actually going to happen but how are you dealing with that at outcast and what are you seeing in generally in the sort of community in silicon valley yeah well our office in uh san francisco has been open for a for gosh since last summer with a short uh closure because of omicron over the holidays and into february um, and it's been slower than I think a lot of other locations. And I know from talking to our team in London, it's definitely slower than the, than the um, return there and in New York. Um, but I think that might be shifting. Um, I have been downtown and been to our office a few times over the last couple of weeks. And every time I'm there, there are more people. There's more activity on the streets. Um, a lot of the bigger companies are getting to their kind of D-days for return to office. Um, you know, I think Google's April 4th. I think uh, Apple is sometime in April as well. I think it's starting to shift. I notice even just, you know, my neighbors are going back into the office a lot more. Right. You start to see a different traffic pattern. So, um, you know, we are not mandating time in the office, um, you know, any particular days per week, but we are encouraging people to get together and do, you know, whether it's team meetings or, um, you know, we're, we're sponsoring kind of social and connection events. We're doing a pizza party um, tomorrow in the San Francisco office, for example, um, a social event in New York in a couple of weeks. So um, I think, you know, encouraging people to come back in and experiencing the time with their colleagues, but in a, you know, for a reason, not just showing yeah. up into the office to sit on Zoom calls. No, for sure. Yeah, and, and I remember visiting Outcast, and you, you had your own offices down, um, I can't remember where it was. Yeah, but... we were right by the baseball stadium. Yeah, that's where, right. Yeah. Now, now the next, you're part of Next 15, and you, I think yep. your offices in San Francisco are all in the same big hub building. We are, yeah, we're right down in the financial district now in a Next 15 uh, sort of co-located space. Got it. And we'll have Tim Dyson on actually in a few weeks. So uh, really exciting acquisition of the engine group, which uh, we'll ask Tim about in detail, but that's probably better known in Europe, but uh, biggest acquisition the group's done. So uh, it is a, yeah. a buzz around the place about that. It is. It is. It's it's really exciting. And, you know, I um, haven't spent, as you mentioned, I think they're better known in the UK. I've spent a little bit of time, um, you know, reading up on their operations and what they do, and particularly the MHP Mischief Group, which is mm. the communications arm, um, and look forward to, you know, getting to know them over the next little bit and and seeing how we might be able to partner together. 
Well, great. Good to chat to you about your first year as CEO and continued good fortune, Elizabeth, and we'll get your input into some of the stories. Um, Frank, uh, a nice win for Zeno. They won the medium-sized agency uh, last last week at the awards. Actually, it was large agency, wasn't it? Sorry. Um, but they won some business this week. They did, yeah. So, uh, Zeno, still onboarding. Um, three of the Kraft Heinz brands, Lunchables, Oscar Mayer, and Heinz. Now, they're partnering with Yagami Group, uh, which our listeners will remember. So, you know, bought a stake in and formed a strategic partnership with uh, last year. And they're embedded with the Zeno teams uh, and supporting the work. But uh, they're getting three Kraft Heinz uh, brands who were formerly with ICF Next. Um, and they've already worked on some stuff. The the uh, the Oscar Mayer baloney inspired beauty masks campaign from earlier this year. I'm probably not the target audience for that, but uh, you know, already personal flavor there. I'm I, well. It's more because I'm I'm not a big baloney person. Okay. I'm trying to trying to avoid packaged <laughs> meats. I should I should admit. So could, um, I'm quite good at talking baloney, but you know uh, that's a whole other <laughs> whole other thing there. Um, so. Um, ICF Next, it should be noted, worked on a, a lot of really interesting campaigns for these brands. The, the Mayo Chup uh, launched uh, and the, the revamp of Mac and Cheese a few years ago. Uh, but yeah, it's look, it's a great win for Zeno. Uh, they get to, to bring on three brand name, household name brands and, uh, you know, work with the gigantic company in Kraft Heinz. And so, you know, kudos to them on that. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, uh, the, and it's good to see the Igami partnership. Uh, it is as well. So yeah, yeah it is. Um, are you finding there's a lot of pitches about at the moment, Elizabeth? And are they in person or are, you, are they still pretty much virtual? How's it? How are you seeing the market? Yeah, you know, I think our uh, customer or client base is a little bit different. You know, we tend to work with companies that are out here in the Bay Area or. Um, you know, have, they're not doing big pitches necessarily, but we are, I mean, there's been a very sort of steady, uh, lots of new business coming in. Let me put it that way. And that's, a, there's a lot of really great stuff. Um, I think we saw a lot of pitch opportunities around the beginning of the year. So it makes sense that things are being awarded now. Um, nothing in person that we've participated in. Ours has all been virtual. Um, but I'm sure we're getting back to that shortly. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, well, there's always lots of pitches around. It tends to be a little bit uh, calendar oriented. Yeah. Yeah. It was a busy, I will say it was a, it, it was surprising how many there were November through January. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Frank, obviously the, the horrific scenes in Ukraine continue and the invasion over there is continuing in egregious fashion, um, what what are some of the things we're seeing from the business community in terms of responding to that, and some of the stories that we've been running this week about around that? Issue? Yeah, I'm in, I'm interested to see what's next because I we're we seem to be past the phase where businesses and especially the blue chip businesses are are pulling out of Russia. So that that seems to have happened, and now I think everybody is looking towards the next phase of this is. Well, what's the longer term economic impact uh, as as those uh, uh, companies are no longer operating there? How is it going to show up in their results? I think with a lot of these companies, it's it's been pointed out pretty widely that Russia was a very small percentage of their business. And so they're not going to take 
a, a gigantic hit uh, because of this. But I'm I'm still interested to see this when uh, when the next round of results come out, um, and, and also just the the effect it's going to continue to have on oil prices, uh, on energy as a sector, uh, where where there's a lot of fluctuations right now. Um, and, and uh, you, you know, look, that's just the economic impact. Obviously, there is there's a very sad human impact. And I saw a stat today that a quarter of Ukraine's population has been displaced in the past month since the war began, which is really, you know, it's it's more than 2.5 million people. It's just this astounding amount of people have have left the country. Um, so you know, it just just incredibly sad. I think. You know, it almost feels a little bit trite to be talking about the communications around it, but I continue to be impressed by uh, the Ukrainian President Zelensky's uh, communication skills and talking to the individual, you know, parliaments, Congress, whatever the case it is, where he, he's clearly brushed up on or uh, has studied the individual histories and, and, and is appealing to them like that. And... Um, most of all, the thing that I think has surprised a lot of people is, you know, especially if you grew up in the later stage of the Cold War like I did, you kind of thought the Russians were these these sort of propaganda chess masters. And this has proven really not to be the case. Although, as as our guest on the podcast, Mark Ross, a couple of weeks ago pointed out, they, they have different audiences and they're communicating internally as much as they are externally. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, yeah. Lots going on with this story, obviously, lots of different angles, and it's going to evolve. It's going to continue to evolve over the next coming weeks and months. Yeah, I agree with you on Zelensky, and uh, President Biden is traveling to Europe, I think, as we speak. Um, We've also been hearing from agencies on the ground, haven't we, Ukrainian agencies, and um, they're thanking the rest of the world for the support, but it's it's always, uh, well, it brings it to life when you hears brings it home when you hear the stories of what they've had to do and what they are doing you know and it's those who've left the country those who've stayed and uh it's a very human tragedy that's uh, that's unfolding there um elizabeth you know there's a lot of um i'd love to get your take on this there's a lot of connections between the tech world and ukraine for example there are a lot of uh-huh. outsourced programmers and people like that there but what's your take on Businesses' response to you know the war and the invasion of Ukraine. Well, I think it's been pretty remarkable, you know, how this has come together, the response that these businesses have had. I, I, you know, there are a lot of companies out here in the Bay Area who have Ukrainian employees and programmers, and there have been a lot of stories. I don't, you know, I think a couple of our clients do, but it's been, um, you know we haven't been engaged to to help with any of the communications around it. Um, but, you know, the stories around what some of these companies are doing to assist their employees either, um, you know, to continue to uh, live and function in Ukraine, um, despite what they're going through right now is pretty incredible. Or, you know, stories around um, the lengths that companies are going to to get their employees out and get them into safe spaces for their you know, both for themselves and their extended families. Um, it's been really heartening to see the care that people are taking with this. And, um, you know, I think the question is what happens as this continues to go on and if yeah. it continues to go on and how, how you know, sustained that can be. But um, it definitely has had a major impact on some companies who, you know, have had a, a 
large portion of their employees and very essential employees in Ukraine. Yeah, it's a, it's a terrible situation. We just pray for a, a speedy yeah. resolution to that for sure. Um, Frank, um, back to the sort of PR news, Real Chemistry, which is uh, formerly W2O Group, reported their 2021 revenue numbers, and they're up to almost $440 million. It's a pretty incredible number, really, if you think of the progress of, over the past decade. Yeah, pretty impressive stuff. Um they're up 35% year over year. Now, that is total revenue. That's not an organic revenue increase, but it's still really impressive. Um, and, um, you know, this includes a lot happening there, including rebranding, uh, bringing on a new CEO in uh, Shankar Naranian. And um, as Jim Weiss moves to uh, the role of, uh, of chairman, um, it, it, so a lot happening over there. And, and the priority for their new CEO is integrating all of these different agencies that they have acquired in the past couple of years, you know, swoop IPM.ai, uh, you know, which are analytics firms. Um, and it's, you know, it, it's a big job. So it's um, 31% of that is organic growth, really impressive stuff. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, it's just a, it's just a big, big number. Not, we're not used to seeing those numbers because we cover so many well-established agencies that grow in smaller amounts, are we? Yeah, I know they gave that number to MM&M, our sister title, Medical Marketing and Media. Is that a, does that number include a lot of what you would call, you know, paid media or meet work that you is probably not communications or PR revenue, or is it? Is, could you pretty much? account let's, all of that under the PR banner. I know it's more, it's more difficult to say what, what that banner is these days. Let me get back to you on that one shortly, and we will have it in our agency business report issue. Ah, a little teaser for the readers there. So, yes, we are going to be talking to uh, them to find out the secret of their success. Elizabeth, sort of broadening it out, obviously an incredible success story there with, with Real Chemistry, uh, which started out in San Francisco, I think, in Austin. But... Um, in terms of 2021, what what are you seeing in the market? You know, we're seeing pretty um, pretty good good numbers registered, yep. and we saw great holding company numbers and Edelman, etc. What are you seeing uh, your agency and across the you know the the space generally? Yeah, I mean, well, revenue was strong and it grew. Um, I think their growth is really incredible. That's fantastic for them. I think. You know, if I understand correctly, a lot of their growth has been in areas outside of traditional comms, and that's definitely been a trend that we have seen. I think a couple of years ago, our split between traditional comms, you know, PR, media, messaging, um, and our digital and creative work, which is digital social campaigns, brand strategy, identity, analytics, um, you know, two years ago, that split was about 80-20 for us. And now it's closer to 55-45, yeah. um, which is pretty remarkable. And we've definitely seen a huge growth in that digital and creative realm. I mean, going back to what we talked about, about the changing media landscape, right? Like, there's just um, a need to have more integrated campaigns and work. And, you know, you need to build the services and find the people to do that work um, to best serve your clients. 
Yeah, it's a real, uh, it's a illustration of the way the marketing and comms landscape's changing. And mm-hmm. with real chemistry, they've got some of that really specialized healthcare stuff as well. Yeah, yeah. Patient recruitment and all, all that sort of stuff. So Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, M Booth Health within the Next 15 family has also grown pretty rapidly. So that's a, obviously a great market to be in. Good. So we're looking forward to uh, painting a, a positive story in the agency report this year, which will be out on May the 5th, and we're working hard on it as we speak. So, yeah. Um, Frank, another agency story. Weber Shandwick has elevated Pam Jenkins. Yes, one of the better known people in uh, in PR public affairs in Washington, D.C., Pam Jenkins, uh, moves up to chief public affairs officer uh, effective immediately. She was the uh, the firm's president of global affairs. Uh, it's a newly created position she's stepping into with the focus on integrating public affairs across Weber's uh, clients and services. Um, it's look, I, I, I think. Pam is one of the better known people uh, in the agency world in Washington, uh, you know, especially in like the the, the non-lobbying category, you know, like the, the traditional PR category uh, that plays heavily in D.C. Uh, so, yeah, congrats to her. Yeah, I visited with Pam and the Weber team, uh, Pal Tate team, um, a few weeks ago. And D.C. Is, itself is a, a bustling and burgeoning market with lots going on. So congratulations to her for her role. Um, Elizabeth, you mentioned you have an office in DC. So mm-hmm. what sort of work do they do there? And is that, is that, uh, cause there was a, there used to be a next 15 subsidiary there, didn't there? Yes. yes. Yeah. And so that's actually, um, we merged with them where we brought in their, uh, services, clients and people to yeah. outcast, uh, probably four years ago at this point. Um, it was called Connections Media. And they're a little bit different while they're located in DC. They're not a public affairs shop. They tended to focus more on and still do focus on um, digital and uh, creative work. So, Yeah, yeah. But uh, you're seeing that as a as a very active market. And yes, yes, for sure. For yeah. sure. We, um, it's a good market for talent. It's There's some interesting work going on. I think obviously in our more traditional client base, the tech industry, there's a lot of interest in expanding uh, to DC and a lot of money and effort that goes into it already. So, yeah, you know, we're covering stories like Intel, you know, it's mentioned in the State of the Union and it's yeah. plans for Columbus, Ohio. And that's, you know, you need people in DC to navigate that sort of stuff. So, yeah, but lots going on there. So, Frank, just to finish up, let's. Let's uh, sweep through the uh, various things that we've announced this week and um, just if you could just sum them up for us, that would be wonderful. Of course. Um, So it it is time, or I should say almost time, uh, for the inaugural PRBQ US Healthcare and Pharma Communications Awards. Uh, It's going to be showcasing and celebrating the best campaigns, projects, agencies, in-house teams, and individuals across the fast-growing healthcare and pharma PR sectors. Um, and look for a live event coming up uh, celebrating that as well. Um, I believe. Yes. City Winery in New York City, which is a great venue. It's a good venue and a great view, and people will really enjoy it. Um, If you know some exceptional young talent in the industry, and and it is everywhere, it's time to honor them with PR Week's 40 Under 40 Class of 2022. Officially open. 
but you have to turn it around rather quickly because the deadline is May 4th. Extended deadline is May 11th. Uh, Going to be featured in our September-October issue and a live event ceremony on October 27th. Uh, you're probably hearing this podcast on Thursday or maybe even after that. So um, as of Thursday morning, our Global Awards shortlist uh, will be live to readers on site. So look for that at the end of the week. Yep. And those will be presented in London on May the 18th. Really looking forward to getting back to my hometown after two years away. Haven't been back for two years. I miss it. So um that will be fun so yeah well thank you frank and uh don't forget we've got our agency business report out there so if you want to get in, involved in our agency rankings make sure you've submitted your form we're running out of time on that one and uh pr decoded our big conference and purpose awards will be in chicago on october 11th and 12th but uh elizabeth thanks so much for joining us great to have you on the pods this week and uh, enjoy chatting to you yeah thanks so much for having me great yeah good luck with that back to the office stuff and uh, <laughs> hope to see you in person on the west coast as well so we have yes yes you're welcome anytime yeah we will definitely come visit and frank always a pleasure keep up thank the good work sir thank you for having me on appreciate it and thanks elizabeth uh, thank you like, uh, we'll see you next time on the pr week Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the PR Week. To find more episodes, visit prweek.com.